And welcome to another episode of the Fast Pod. I'm Graham Cleland, and I'm here as ever with my co-host John Doran. Another great weekend of very entertaining motorsport. So, what was holding your attention? I suppose you have to start with Le Mans. It was the hundredth one, and what a race they served up! They had everything you could possibly want from a race. Our last Fast Pod guest, Jeff Carter, he he said. Before, to us, it would make it absolutely great if you could have a shock result and Ferrari win. And what do they go and do? They go and win. First overall since 1965. Yeah, it's a bit of a fairy tale, wasn't it? And uh, I guess it was a bit of a feeling, as we talked about with Jeff, that they were going to be competitive. You know, um, they'd, they'd look pretty racy despite mishaps in, in some of the warm-up races they had running into it. Uh, and they proved to be on the pace very, very quickly in the, the warm-ups uh, for Le Mans itself during the week. Um, but they didn't have it all their own way, did they? No, certainly not. I mean, all the, all the, the hypercars showed a lot of promise. And, and they, they show that the way the series is going to develop over the next couple of years, I mean, it promises a hell of a lot for next year. It definitely was a good, you know, first outing, if you want to call it that, for a reinvigorated uh, top class at Le Mans. You know, more manufacturers. The cars all just looked fantastic, didn't they, in the hypercar class? All slightly different, but all really good looking. Yeah, but that's just the way that the, you know, the design element that's been built into the regulations allows them to think outside the box. And they've all come at it in a different way, and it's actually working for a really exciting race. And there was so much drama and there was so much happening throughout the race. And you had the world's top drivers there. And then it rained. And it, it, even people like us can take a little bit of comfort from the fact that they were really struggling in the rain. Yeah, it wasn't just a little bit of rain, was it? I mean, it was absolute chaos. It just, you know, gone from pretty dry conditions to being torrential. And yeah, like you see, even the world's best drivers, uh, driving cars with huge amounts of aero downforce were just sliding off like left, right, center, which I guess you don't want to see, do you? You don't want people's races spoiled by, you know, completely extreme weather, but like that. But it certainly, as a spectacle, spiced the whole thing up, didn't it? No, it added, it added to the, the team strategies as well. But you look at them all, and it's, I mean, it's known for the development into road cars. And you've had everything from, from lights to windscreen wipers tested through the years. You look at the, the diesel cars going into hybrid. And then we had the hydrogen cars were, were on show, the concepts. And you just wonder, maybe maybe that is, is the race series, and maybe that is the way forward for road cars as well. There's been a lot of chatter about that around the WRC, which we'll maybe tackle later on. But yeah, rallying is debating you know where does it go to be stay relevant to manufacturers and electric is probably not the way to go at rallying is too difficult for lots of reasons we'll go into another point but hydrogen has been touted just this past week actually as a possible option there too so you're right that that, that could definitely be a way forward at the moment and speaking of our previous guest jeff he said that one of one of the things he really wanted out of the weekend was to speak to a legend like valentino rossi who promptly went and won the road to Le Mans race we talked about how promising his debut had been at Brands Hatch, didn't we? Where he podiumed and, you know, to, for him to go out and get another result like that. It'll be interesting to see if he continues to sort of build out his motorsport programme. You know, he's had rallying outings that we discussed before. But, you know, maybe endurance racing is something that he's going to, you know, start to really wind up to. And it'll be fascinating to see if he's, he's as competitive going forward. Listen, that's a nice link because the other things that have been going on this week have been all about motorcycles too. So... Massive event, Isla Man TT. It's right up there with Le Mans in terms of, you know, in the motorcycling world being, uh, you know, a really, really unique event. 
it is unbelievable what these guys do. I mean, in terms of bravery, I don't think there's anything else matches it. You know, uh, there's records falling left, right, and center around. You know, the average lap time around the course is north of 135 miles an hour. I mean, that's the average lap time. But, you know, they're, they're topping 200 miles an hour in some sections that are basically a roads through villages. What commitment! I'm sure. I'm sure your your Twitter feed was much the same as mine. It was just full of of people taking clips of of bikers going through at insane speeds. Going slightly contrary, I saw a news element just just before the meeting, saying, "Oh, so many people had, had died at the event." We know it's dangerous, but these riders know the risk. They they know they know the course, they know the risk, they know the bikes, and they want to do it. And when you see the performances they put in, then you, you've got to give them the right to make that choice. Yeah, and as we see, you know, motorsport is dangerous, as it says on the back of every ticket you buy to, to go even just to, uh, you know, your local circuit. And, and unfortunately, you know, even with the best safety measures in place, you, you can't completely sanitise motorsport, you know, and, and it's, sadly, we've, we've lost some fantastic competitors at all levels of motorsport in, in every different type of discipline in, in recent years. But yeah, the, multi, the TT is just one of those things. That it, like you see, people sign up for it, but their commitment and what, what you see they can do with bikes and the way they handle them cannot be anything other than impressed by it, can you? And as I said, records dropped this week. It seemed to be a big step forward in performance. You know, it is just a unique spectacle, isn't it? There is nothing else like it. Yeah, every, every race was worth watching. Every race. Yeah, it's a bucket list event. There's no doubt about it. So another superb event, um, albeit circuit-based this time, the Italian GP uh, out of Mugello. Uh, wow, did they put on a show? <laughs> they love their motorcycle racing in that part of the world. Mugello itself is a brilliant circuit to watch racing on full stop, particularly motorcycle racing. Uh, and I just thought MotoGP pulled out all the stops. You know, They put on a cracking show before the race even kicked off, and the action on track was superb. You know, although okay, yeah, the Ducati dominated a bit and they seemed to have the edge on power. But behind that, there was lots and lots of battling for places. You had big guns causing a bit of controversy throughout the week, like Marquez winding up opponents in quali and afterwards. Who doesn't like seeing a bit of on-track beef? People waving their fists at each other. I love it. You know, it's gladiatorial. Uh, and of course, he does all of that. And then he bins it quite early in the race. So, you know, Marquez hasn't endeared himself to people. But I just think that the whole package with MotoGP, I think, is a golden era. I, I genuinely do. I think it's a golden era. And I think you don't have to be massively into motorcycle racing. I think you could show most people that and they would get the entertainment value. Oh, I think so. And there's, there's enough characters on the track and the, the racing is good enough. But it, it's one of those events where you could actually... You, 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 of course, you want to watch the whole thing, but you could actually join halfway through and still know exactly what's going on. Yeah, it's really accessible, really close racing. This is so much overtaking, and and largely the races are not decided until close to the end. You know, so as you say, it keeps you going, keeps you hooked. There are other top light, flight race series where that doesn't happen, as we know, John, and there's not much overtaking. We'll get into that in a different episode. <laughs> but yeah, you know, MotoGP, I have to say, I think it's right up there just now. It's had periods in the past where, you know, it's not not had that uh, entertainment value, but I think it's in a great spot right now. You've certainly got to appreciate their skill levels, which leads us on to, to our guest, doesn't it? It does, yeah. We've got a cracking guest this week. So jumping to another form of motorsport completely, uh, I talked a little bit about rallying WRC earlier on there. 
uh, and we've got a, a top-level international rally co-driver. The name will be familiar to most people. So Australian origin, lives in America, competes all over the world. Rhiannon Gelsomino, uh, she sat with some really top drivers. Uh, and as you'll hear, she's, she's co-driving for somebody who's a, a really interesting prospect. So we'll get her on, have a bit of a chat. Let's do it. Welcome to the Fast Pod. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm great. We've been busy, so busy is always good. <laughs> Where in the world are you right now? And, and tell the listeners what you've been up to recently. Right now, I'm actually in USA. You never know where I am. Uh, we live in Idaho, so out in the mountains, which is really cool. Alex and I actually got a little cottage that we've been renovating as a little Airbnb. So we're actually down here. I've got him painting outside at the moment. Keeping the glamour busy. of an international co-driving <laughs> superstar, eh? As if you weren't busy enough already. You've got side projects. Exactly. He's like, what do we have to do today? <laughs> So yeah, home at the moment in USA, which is really nice for a change um, because obviously we're really busy with our racing, uh, mainly in America this year. I uh, just come back from Oregon Trail Rally with young Leah Block. And then we had um, a co-driver course at Dirtfish, which we are aligned with now, where we trained uh, 12 co-drivers on Saturday, Sunday. So it's been great. We've been busy. And we always say to people, if we're home, that's not good because we're not earning money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and not doing something entertaining as well, I guess. So, I mean, just on that point, you know, you're coaching. Just, I wonder if you could explain to people a little bit about what you do, because, you know, obviously you compete at a very high level yourself, but I know you do a lot of coaching and it's something that you really enjoy. Can you just give people a feel for what that involves? Yeah, so I was a PE teacher before I decided to take up the crazy sport of rally full time. So I love teaching. Um, so once I started rallying professionally full-time in 2010, I was finding that I was really missing teaching. So uh, I spoke to Alex about the fact that could we start a, a program where we could train co-drivers and also train drivers in pace notes. So in the end of 2013, we decided to start um, our business, Oz Rally Pro. And Oz Rally Pro has now trained over 500 people, all at, like in Australia, New Zealand, USA, Canada. Uh, we've trained some people in line online that are in Spain and places like that as well. So what Oz Rally Pro is, people can come and do one-on-one -on -one training with us. So just say they're a bit more advanced and they want us to work with them directly. Alex and I would work with them. It's all recce or classroom-based. We don't do anything in rally cars. So they'd come, we'd look at their onboards, we'd discuss areas where they need to improve if it was a driver. Um, and then we'd go out and do recce practice and look at areas where they were lacking in their pace notes and where we could find speed. Um, at, the, at the end of that training, we then look at their recce on board at double speed and, and give them more information. With the co-drivers, obviously, we, we start from, hey, you know, what are you doing for your preparation for events? Um, what do you do with your driver at events and things like that? So the co-driver is virtually, you know, Number one, hey, this is where we start and the planning all the way through to what you should be doing on the event, uh, what you should be, you know, working with your driver as far as their pace notes, how you should time your cadence, your tone, all that sort of stuff. So the 12 co-drivers that we trained on the weekend, most of them were novices. So most of them, you know, you're having to run through the time cards and the controls and all those sort of things that they know nothing about. Um, but then the one-on-ones we have, they would be more, you know, we've had co-drivers that have done 100 rallies and they're like, oh, we've done 100 rallies, but we want to work out how do we go to the international level? Um, how do you 
compete in five different championships in one year and make sure you understand all the rules and regulations and and things like that. So there's a lot of different questions we get asked. And obviously we're lucky. We've both got so much combined experience. So Alex and I are able to, if I don't answer something in a way that they want to hear it, like he might be able to. So even the shorthand, like, you know, abbreviations for your pace notes, Alex are very different to mine. So at the training on the weekend, we had ours written on the board. So the co-driver's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to steal that idea. I'll, I'll steal that idea. So it's really cool that we can work together and help progress the sport because at the end of the day for Alex and I, it's about giving back to the sport that's given us so much. Yes, we're paid to do it. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, there's not many people that feel okay about sharing so much knowledge, whereas we don't hide anything. We tell them everything we know. We share everything we know. And it's all about developing the sport to, to be better than it is. Just to follow up two points, you, you say you used to be a PE teacher. Um, <laughs> do you find those skills are easily transferable to being a co-driver? Yes, very much so. Um, my background in sport, I love sport growing up. Um, it was a big part of my life. I'm not sure if you have netball over there, but I think you do. So netball was something I participated at to the state level and and it was something I really loved. And so with my PE teaching and, and what I learned from um, those days, even, you know, the logistics of planning lesson plans and all those sort of things, the multitasking of it, a kid's decided that they've lost basketball and they're going to go climb a fence over there and, and yell at you while you're trying to control another 25 kids over here. So obviously the multi, for me, multitasking is one of the biggest things that I come across in, in co-driving. You get to the end of the stage, you're having to get your time card back. You're trying to change your pace notes to your road book. Your driver's asking you which way do you turn at the junction. Like there's, there's five things going on and your adrenaline's pumping because you've just finished the stage. I found teaching was very similar um, as far as that was concerned. And, and in all honesty, I had a real passion for teaching. So when I was deciding to take this out full time, I really struggled to not, you know, think of the fact that I would be teaching high school kids anymore because I really loved it. So this has really given me back what I miss um, in my life with that teaching part um, because growing up I always told myself I wanted to give back in some way whatever I learned or my knowledge I always wanted to be able to share it with people so for me it was an easy progression to become a teacher um, and then when I was co-driving and everything started going really well for me and I thought that I could do that full-time that was then the hard shift to decide whether I could actually quit teaching and and take up a professional career in co-driving which was obviously a bit of a change. You're actually well known for, for your preparation. And, and that's the same thing for a PE teacher as well. How important do you think that is in the art of being a co-driver? Oh, I, I think preparation's key, in all honesty. Um, there's a lot of people who, who come and train with us and then they fail after training with us. Things aren't going well and, and they'll contact us and I'm like, okay, can you send me the recce schedule you had? And they're like, well, I didn't really have time to do that. Oh, were you lost on, oh, yeah, we got lost on recce. Then we didn't get to do this and that. Okay, well, when you trained with us, remember I explained that the recce schedule is really important because it, Alex and I, the detail of our recce schedule is we know where we will be every minute of the day on recce. You know, we break it down to, okay, we're going to average this on the stages. Our transits will average this. We're going to be here. 
So if for some reason we get a puncture out on recce, you know, and all of a sudden, hey, we were 15 minutes in front of our recce schedule. Now we're five minutes behind on our recce schedule, but we're okay because at the end of the day, we see that the stages close at seven, but we had 30 minutes up our sleep. These little things take out a lot of, you know, a lot of people experience anxiety and things like that because they haven't planned or prepared well enough for the event. And then they come to me running up and saying, oh, this didn't work and that didn't work. And most of the time when I ask the question, they just haven't planned well enough. Even little things like I tell them, not only have a schedule for the event, but have a schedule for you and your driver. This is to the down to the five minutes. You know, We're going to be here at this time. We're going to be here at this time. The service crew is going to be here at this time. So, you know, little Leah Block, she gets a text message from me because it's easier when they're 16 to communicate that way. WhatsApp, everything. <laughs> exactly. Instagram message. <laughs> Snapchat, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she gets a message of breaking down. Leah, breakfast at this time. We're leaving the hotel at this time. We're going to be watching videos at this time. Everything is broken down for the whole day for her. When I was with Travis Pastrana, same thing. I break down every little part of the day so they always know. So if you're not organized like that, I feel like I know it's a lot, but at the same time, if you're not setting yourself up for success, there will be failure. You know what I mean? And so when people are saying to me, oh, this happened or that happened, and I get frustrated because I'm like, hey, and I give them a comprehensive booklet. Like if they've trained with me, they have a 37-page booklet that tells them every single little step with every example. So they can just follow that booklet. You know, they can have it at the event and tick, I did this, tick, I did that. And if they haven't done the work prior to the event and when they get to the event, they're in a panic, they're going to be lost on recce and they're going to run late on recce or their driver's not going to be on time because they didn't give them the notice of that or or when they get to the end of the stage, they won't understand the multitasking of, oh, I need to give my time card out. I need to check the time I got on my watch. I need to get my road book out. I need to put my pace notes back. I need to tell my driver which way to turn because I've highlighted all my tulips and I know exactly where I'm going. So I know it's a lot of work, but when people say to me, I'm so jealous, I wish I was doing your job, I'm like, that's fine. You can try and do my job, but you have to be willing to put in the work. You need to be willing to put in the preparation and be extremely organized, and then you will have opportunities. So you've talked about, you know, the preparation aspect there, Rianne, and, and putting in the work as well. But what else is it that, in your opinion, makes a great rally co-driver? <laughs> well, it's interesting you ask that because I worked with Travis Pastrana the last three years. Um, and Travis is a bit of a character, as you may know. Um, and so me personally, I think one really important thing is to be able to remain calm under pressure. So, you know, you might roll and land on your wheels and you still need to be holding your pace notebook and then call the next notes. Or in Travis's case, we might be going towards trees and Travis is like, we're going to die. And so like, I'm like. Really confidence is firing stuff from the driver. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm sort of like trying to focus and keep calm and everything as he's just said that to me. And I'll get to the end of the stage. I'll be, hey, Trav, you know, like, can you just not tell me if you think we're going to die? Because I don't really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that's really important. I say to people, if you don't think you can remain calm, um, it may be, not be the job for you because a lot of females especially, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but they can become very pitchy in their voice. And so they'll be calling the notes and if they get scared and they're not calm, all of a sudden their voice is pitchy. And that pitchiness can then, it goes into the co-driver's ears, obviously, and the driver then starts to think, are they scared? And then they start to question themselves. 
So that's something really important. Um, I think they need to be able to facilitate anything and everything. Um, in rally, things go wrong all the time. Um, so you may be stuck in a ditch and you're trying to work out if it's better to super rally or use whatever rules are in the championship. Um, or should we stay stuck? Should we get out? What time have we got? You know, you've got all these questions going on. Unfortunately, most drivers don't understand the rules that well. So you're the one having to make um, those decisions on on the fly. Um, obviously, multitasking, like I spoke about before, organized, prepared. Um, and I also think it's really important that they know how to give clear instructions. So I find that a lot of new co-drivers come to us and they're just making everything white, way too wordy. Oh, I, I explained this and then I said, just make it simple. You know what I mean? Make everything clear and simple because as a co-driver, if you overcomplicate things, the service crew are going to be lost. The co-driver won't know what's going on. Um, and even in your pace notes, if your driver is making things too wordy, you know, encourage them to make the pace notes simpler. If you don't need to say don't cut, just say don't. It's one simple word. If you don't need to say stay in, use in. Like, and even though I'm a co-driver, I encourage when I go to Travis, I'm like, hey, Travis, let's start minimalizing things so that then we don't have don't cut. We just have don't. If you hear cut last, you might cut. Um, why do we have to say stay in when it's in? You know, and Travis is like, oh, this is brilliant. You know what I mean? So we then started taking words out to make it clear and precise. And then what it means is the drivers can retain more because you might have a corner where you do need four, five words, six words, seven words, whatever. But if you take out these other words that don't matter, it really helps. So I think a co-driver can um, help in so many ways if they know what they're doing. <laughs> you talk there about when you obviously Leah and, and Travis, do you find it easier having somebody that's sort of higher profile and all the social media glare that goes with that? Or is it just totally single-minded? When I go in Travis, I wasn't sure how it was going to be. I knew Travis throughout the years. Um, but obviously someone with that status can have an ego, you know what I mean? Or they can be hard to deal with or they won't listen. I was lucky when I got in Travis, he was all about, hey, Ree, what can you teach me to make me better? He was honest. He's like, I crash a lot. I make a lot of mistakes. Um, and I would love you with your knowledge from my, I was rally pro and all the rallying you've done. Cause I've done double the rallies Travis has, he's like done a hundred or something and I've got 200 plus. So he was very good. There was no ego surrounding him or anything. He was very good in saying, make me better. And in 18 races we did together in, in three years, he crashed twice, which for Travis, I know crashing twice is still bad, but in 18 races for him to do that, that was huge. And we won a championship together. And in all honesty, that was because he come to me with, I'm not Travis Pastrana. I'm here as a person wanting to learn and get better. So if you can give me your knowledge, please do. Um, and then you have Leah, who's only 16, but Leah nearly has a million followers on Instagram now. And and obviously this after the sad passing of Ken, was those people gravitated to his daughter. Um, so when um, Ken and I had already done the deal for me to be sitting with Leah for this year, because Travis had let me know he wanted to take the season off, um, have more time with these young girls and stuff like that. So we'd already made a deal. And Ken was very clear with me about, I am putting you in this car to teach my daughter. She needs to learn pace notes. She needs to learn just everything about rally. Um, she had a co-driver before who was someone we trained, but, you know, 50 rallies experience. We just didn't want too much pressure on her in that first year. She was only 15. 
Um, so at 16, with dealing with Leah, there's a different way I have to manage it compared to Travis. Um, obviously, Leah, um, she's young. And so, you know, they, they like being on their phone and stuff like that. Um, she's not long got her driver's license, so they tend to speed on transits. And so it's, it's a constant battle. Whereas if I tell Travis, you know, we're, we have to do a quiet zone of 20, he's doing a quiet zone of 20. Then you've got a 16-year-old kid who's like, how much longer does this zone last? And why have we got a 20-mile zone? And you know what I mean? Like all these things that an adult just goes, okay, I have to do 20. Whereas a kid goes, why do I have to do 20? Yeah, so, and this is where your teacher skills are going to come in handy again. <laughs> that, that, she's the age of those kids I was training, so uh, teaching. So it's quite cool, actually. And look, she's a good learner. She's a good listener. Um, and we're three rallies in together, and, and she's doing a phenomenal job. So I'm really proud of her, and I'm really proud of the fact that she knows why I'm in that car, and she understands that. I'm like her teacher in that car, a mentor, whatever you want to say, auntie, whatever. <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. On that note, you've, you know, you've given us a couple of names already, but you, you've told us what you think makes a great co-driver, but you have to sit next to them. So what do you think makes a great driver? Okay. And you don't have to name names here, but we're talking about the characteristics and how that works with a co-driver in a car, because, you know, it is a partnership unlike other forms of racing and so much rests on, on how that gels. And so, you know, what do you look for in a driver ideally? I think I've worked with maybe 40 drivers now. So there's been quite a lot of drivers and there's a mix. I've worked with Irish, Scottish, American, Canadian, Australian, New Zealand, whatever. Um, but for me, it's about working as a team and being able to communicate very efficiently. So when you're on recce, um, the driver is delivering the notes in a way that you can understand them. But at the same time, um, you know, understanding the role as a co-driver. So sometimes drivers I'll get in with and they'll like be mumbling on recce and they won't be verbalizing things well and you can't hear them. And you're like, can you speak up? And then they get annoyed. And so I, I look for a driver that I know is going to communicate well also someone that, you know, has skills that I feel comfortable riding with. Um, I always look at things like the safety in their car and how their events have been going as far as how often they're having accidents and things like that. I've been really lucky that I did like over 80 rallies with my brother, Brennan Reeves. And so we grew up learning together and I sat with him in the car a lot. And so his skills were very good. So when I got in with people that weren't so good, like, in, with my brother I never had to say hey tidy up or something whereas I've learned that now if I get in with people that I'm like oh I think we're going to crash this is getting a little I'll be like tidy up or you know what I mean like those sort of things I, I was also lucky to work with John McCrone who was a really great talent as well um, and John was very like my brother I got in the car and their skills were just natural and I never had to think about their job which makes my job easy I, I say if I can focus on my job and I'm not having to worry about what the driver's doing it means that I can do my job even better. So I've been lucky that, you know, I've had some really top drivers and then obviously Travis and then Leah's coming up now um, that have allowed me to be able to progress in the sport as well because they've had the skills and talent that when we gel together and we work together as a team, we can then get the great results because of, you know, the abilities they have and the abilities I have. So, you know, I don't want to sit with a driver who's not going to listen. They're going to be arrogant, you know, they think that they're the boss in the car. In my opinion, you know, you're a team, you're 50-50. If I don't do my job well, we can't win a rally. And if they don't do, don't do their job well, they can't win a rally. You come from a racing family. So were, were you really competitive when you were growing up? 
<laughs> That's a very good question. And my family, so there's four children. I'm the oldest. My brother, Brendan, that I've done my most rallying with is the baby. And then uh, my brother, Nathan, he's only two years younger. And then we've got a sister, Bianca, who doesn't do motorsport as well. And mum and dad would take us 10-pin bowling. And the running joke was we couldn't even go 10-pin bowling without a family feud. Because we were so, and it was supposed to be a fun social thing that we would do away from karting, away from autocross, away from rally, you know. And so my sister was into horses. So mum and dad are like, oh, let's go 10 pin bowling to do something fun. And then all of a sudden it just turns into like this argument. So then mum would be like, oh, now we have to bowl with our opposite hand to see who's better opposite. Like it was always like this competition. But in many ways, way I was raised and you know that in a motorsport family that was extremely competitive like we we we're, I'm very lucky I was on a farm and dad, we have an earth moving business so dad built us a 1.8 kilometer rally stage when we were very young and so we built what we call in Australia bush bombs and we would race the bush bombs around our rally track and we were so competitive we'd have the stopwatch out my brothers and I and we would, and then dad eventually made us put like a little cage inside it that we had to weld in ourselves because one of us rolled and dad's like, okay, this is getting too dangerous. So we had to build a cage inside it. So it's definitely helped me with everything I've done and all my sport, I was competitive and, and I love that part of it. And, and in all honesty, like I sit with drivers that sometimes are at the back of the field learning. And then sometimes I'm winning, you know, championships and whatever. But I get a great thrill out of all of it if I know they're working really hard and they want to become better and they want to improve. Like Josie Rimmer, who runs Dirtfish, I sat with her for her first rally last year and Josie was a competitive horse rider. So the great thing about working with Josie, yes, she was in her first rally and she's learning, but she still had the competitive nature from what, when she'd learned about with, with the horses and everything. So for me, that that family and all of that has really taught me a lot of things, and I absolutely love it. So you're talking about you know how many rallies you've done, and you know you've sat beside lots of interesting people as well. But you know you're busy this year again. But what's on your rallying bucket list? You know what are the the career things that you're still looking at, or events that you would still like to do? Yeah, that's always a good question because I'm 42 years old now, but I still would love to be world rally champion. And I, I don't lie about that. You know what I mean? Like, So would I, I, but I think my chances are diminishing, I'll be honest with you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I need a good PE teacher. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's a PE teacher by trade, so that hasn't helped me. I just don't have the skills. See? <laughs> She's got a good job. Um, yeah, in all honesty, that's still my lifelong goal, um, to be back in the WRC and win WRC events. Um, it's from when I started rallying, when I realized this dream, when my brother and I went to the junior world rally championship and, and we were racing over there against some great guys like Craig Breen, who obviously we've lost, who's, that was a tragedy to us all. And then John McCrone and all these great young guys that we become friends with. So the junior world championship taught me so much. And I, I got out of my comfort zone and I learned to work with different people. And my brother and I were traveling around Europe and it was so cool. So then you know, when I got the opportunity to do things out of Australia, that was always amazing. And it becomes such a lifelong goal to me. So I then set my sights on wanting to win the Australian Rally Championship, which my brother and I finished twice second, I think. Um, and so then I was lucky enough when I come over here to America that I started working with Travis and have won the American Championship. But I'd love to get back to the World Championship. Um, I'd love to be there full time. I've only raced the World Championship in the R5 is the highest. I've never done it in the World Rally Cars. Um, so that's obviously my dream and goal. But I, look, 
maybe Leah Block's going to come up through the ranks. I always say to people, I feel like it's really hard to just step into one of those roles. Like I think if you've worked with someone right through their career from a younger age and you've been their co-driver and progressed with them, it's a lot easier because you've been there the whole time rather than actually trying to step into a ride that might become available. And they have to be English speaking because obviously I only speak Australian. (laughs) So, so um, yeah, that's definitely something I'd still love to do. I saw an interview with, with you and there, there was a message in there, which probably doesn't count for Leah, but you were quoted as saying like your message to girls is take a risk. Just don't tell mum about it till it's over. <laughs> uh, I must admit, I've been lucky. My mum has been very good. I think she would have preferred me to keep playing state league netball because when I was playing state league netball, she'd come down to Melbourne and she watched me and she loved it. And then, when my dad come up with this idea, I, I was like 23 or four years old. I, I wasn't thinking about co-driving. And, and my dad was like, you would make the perfect co-driver for Brendan. And I was like, uh, I get car sick, dad. And dad's like, oh, we can work with that. You know what I mean? And so I think mom was like, wait, we have two daughters and two sons. Why can't you leave the daughters alone? Like, just, <laughs> just let them play tennis and netball. And, and you take the boys to karting and rally. And, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I guess I can try it. My competitive nature was like, yeah, let's do this. So I always joke and laugh and, and, and my mum has never held me back in any way. And she's been very supportive, but I know there's a lot of mums that they're like, I am not letting my little daughter do that. Like that's so dangerous, especially someone like me who's been burnt and broken my legs and all sorts of things. I think sometimes mum's like, oh, surely she'll retire from it now. And I'm like, okay, I'm better get back in the car, you know? So encouraging young girls is something I look I, I never think of myself as a woman in motorsport I just think of myself as wanting to be the best in motorsport but you know on the weekend at the co-driver class there was eight females out of 12 students I just couldn't believe it so I think that there's definitely if I can be a great role model and encourage more girls even if they don't want to be drivers if they want to be co-drivers I feel like co-driving is something that male female it doesn't matter what you are you know what I mean so I, I definitely think that there's a, a an opening there for many young girls to try it out. And if they don't like it, no problem. But, you know, it's a great way to get into motorsport, I think. Getting back into WRC is your goal. You've had a taste of a lot of those events, you know, all over the, the world. But what's your favourite? Because, you know, I, I've been onto a lot of WRC events before and they've all got quite distinct characters and you do meet fascinating people wherever you go. But, you know, what are the ones that you really enjoy? Oh, so Rally New Zealand has the most incredible roads in the world, in my opinion. The camber um, and just the scenery is amazing. And I also love Finland. I've done Finland a couple of times and, and also been there with Alex when he was competing. So I've probably been to Finland, I don't know, six, seven times with my, my races and Alex races. Um, I love Finland, the, the people, you know, the experience of, of the way that they do things over there. Rally is such a huge sport in Finland. I remember my poor grandma, she came over. We ran a Brennan Reef Supporters Club tour and our grandma decided she was coming over from Australia and she gets to service park and she was like, so when I was spectating, there was men and they were just urinating right next to me and they weren't wearing any clothing, she says. And we, we said to my grandma, we want you not to come to Finland. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's really cool. I love doing the Scottish Rally Championship because to go do something like that, even though I only did four rounds, I didn't do the full championship. I hadn't been to Scotland before. 
So I got to see a new part of the world that I hadn't been. Uh, when I did Circuit of Ireland, I got to see the Irish roads and the countryside. So I think it's really hard to pinpoint my favourite rally. I know my favourite roads are definitely New Zealand just because of the, the way they're structured. But then the culture and the experiences that I've learned along the way is definitely, you know, even I haven't done a rally in Switzerland, but driving through Switzerland to get to the um, ferry that we had to catch from Genoa to um, Sardinia or whatever we did, my brother and I, driving through there was incredible. So I think for a little country girl from Australia, rally has definitely me delivered me more than I could have ever imagined. I've got one uh, last quick question here. Um, it might be the most controversial of all, Rhiannon. So, oh, dear. Okay, you and Alex are both top-class co-drivers, okay? And you've talked about how good you are at working together and coaching people, etc. But who's the better driver out of the two of you? <laughs> Me? <laughs> I, I actually grew up racing because I did some karting and I had a little Datsun 1600, which I did autocross in. And then I got a Subaru GC8. Then I got a Subaru RS, which is non-turbo. So I did a lot of driving before my family decided I was going to be a co-driver. Whereas Alex drives the Italian way from Sicily and, and it's a little bit, bit more dangerous than, than me. So I definitely say that I'm the better driver. If we go karting, we always have a good race. So that's always fun. But we'll just keep that one secret. We'll have to make sure he doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for your time. And it's just fascinating to get that insight into, you know, what it takes, you know, to compete at the top level as a co-driver both you know your insight into to how you approach it as well but how you actually pass that on to, to the next generation as well so uh yeah best of luck for the rest of the season and thanks for coming yeah. on the fast pod thank thanks for having me on guys it was really enjoyable and if you ever want me on again just let me know or alex i can ask him for you too i'm sure we'll take you up on that thanks Rhiannon. thanks Safe see travels. you guys bye what an interesting chat that was and there's so many people that say, oh, she, she lives the life. She got, drives with, you know, with people like Travis Pastrana and all that. But you have to say, she really puts in the work. You know, when you listen to the, the amount of preparation she puts into things. Yeah, I've been fortunate to pass across professionally with Rihanna in the past. And uh, I, I just was really impressed with her straight away. And she's so focused, you know. Uh, she grafts outside of the car, both pre-event, on-event, you know, uh, and post-event as well. But also, you know, she is just pleasant with it, you know. She does that rare thing of actually, you know, being really hardworking, very, very skilled at what she does, and also being a really positive atmosphere in the service park. And that is why she sits beside such good people. And that's why she'd be so good for Leah. Yeah, and she's got, uh, as she talked about, that coaching skill set, hasn't she? That's just one of the things that we, we've always tried to get out of interviews on this podcast is how do they do what they do? She talked a lot about her PE background, uh, you know, and you can see how that would give her that ability to deliver constructive criticism to the drivers that she sits beside, as well as being good at her own job too. I wish I'd had a PE teacher that was as enthusiastic and fun as her. <laughs> That's right. But um you know, I, I think uh, she, she's a top-class competitor that, and you can just see the way that she has that winner mindset, don't you? You know, that she leaves no stone unturned. It's fascinating what, what her and Alex do with their uh, co-driver academy and, you know, how many people have been through that and have gone on to be successful with them. But, you, you know, once you've met somebody like that and you've seen them in action, you know, you, you, they've got that little bit of X factor, but it's 
the skill of being able to, to pass on their experience. Not everybody has that. There's lots of competitors that have got the talent out there and have got no ability to communicate it. But I think Rhiannon has that in spades. And she obviously honed it back at home, you know, when she talks about the competition between her brothers. <laughs> it helps, that obviously, that she sort of comes from the, the really, you know, competitive background and a, a sporting family as well. But, yeah, she's built a phenomenal career. You know, I'm sure she's still going to have lots of exciting things to do. I'll tell you another little thing that's fascinating as well is just her ability to communicate that through social media as well. You know, anybody, and I recommend that people go follow her on socials, but she's great at lifting the curtain and, and given an insight into the way she does that prep too. You know, she's she's genuinely trying to pass it on. Totally open book, the way she goes about her. But, you know, that all takes time as well, John. It's a total commitment to the career. And she's made sacrifices, as she talked about, to, to get there. But that is what you need to do if you're going to compete at the top level of motorsport and have a long career. And at some point in the future, I'm sure we'll... Uh, twist her arm like she promised us and get her significant other on as well because uh, Alex is somebody who I've crossed paths with in the WRC too and uh, you know is very very skilled at what he does even if Rhiannon is clearly a faster driver as she told us well he might he might want to argue that point <laughs> we'll see okay Thanks again, everybody, for joining us on another episode of the Fast Pod. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, that was our first rally competitor we've had on. We've got somebody from a completely different form of motorsport on the next time, a multiple world champion. Be sure to tune in for that. We'll give you a little teaser of that before it publishes. Look out for it in a fortnight time. Uh, and until then, thank you very much. And please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.